Welcome back, dear listeners. This is Charlotte, Creative and Technical Director here at Evidence for Faith. This week we have a very special episode for you guys, so I'm not going to spoil it, and I'm going to let Michael introduce it. Just as a reminder, you can help us keep this broadcast free by donating online at evidenceforfaith.org give. That's evidence, the number four, faith.org give. You can also help others find our broadcast by giving us a review and sharing it online. So without further ado, here is Michael in our very special episode. Welcome to Evidence for Faith. This is your host, Michael Lane. And I want to, this, this day and on this occasion, tell you something I haven't really spoken of very much in the past, and that's my personal story. I, for some reason, I seldom seem to talk about my salvation experience uh, when I'm going around speaking. I guess probably because when I do speak, they give me agendas to speak on, and I often don't like to talk about myself. But I thought it would be very helpful for some people to hear my story because maybe some people are going through the same type of thing. And the whole point of this ministry is to get people closer to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and and help them to grow and become disciples as what the Great Commission is, to make disciples. And so in this little broadcast, I want to just talk about my story and let you know. Now, a few people probably have heard this in the past, but most haven't. So just sit back, enjoy, um, and have a cup of tea or whatever as you go along with me on this little journey. My story begins back, I grew up on the south side of Chicago uh, in a very, very Christian family. Going to church was almost as natural as taking a breath. Um, I had a mom and dad and an older brother and two older sisters. I'm the baby of the family. My dad was very active in church. He uh, not only taught Sunday school for a while, I think, when I was really small, I think he led the youth group. He would be like what today would be called a, a voluntary, like associate pastor. He was called a superintendent. He did a lot of things in the church except stand up on Sunday mornings and preach. He ran a lot of different programs, the children's ministries, Sunday school things, everything like that. My mom taught Sunday school also. My older brother, as he got older, uh, became a Sunday school teacher also. I had him. And I grew up in this family that went to church all the time. As I say, going to church was as natural as taking a breath or a glass of water. We would go to church on Sunday morning. We would go to church on Sunday night. We would go to church on Wednesday night for a prayer meeting and prayer time. And then at least once a month, our church, um, we didn't have a custodian, a paid custodian. So certain families in the church voluntarily would go on Saturdays and clean the church uh, to keep it all nice and working and everything. And so one, at least once a month on Saturdays, we would be going the whole family over to the church and we would clean. My job was usually um, pushing brooms uh, and, and dusting the pews in the church. It was a good sized church. But because I grew up in this church, I knew every little nook and cranny of this place too. And I basically grew up in this building. And um, so when, in our church services, when I was really small, we had children's ministries. Um, we had a a uh, children's church that took place during the sermon time. 
there were some godly people who ran it, and I would go to that. We also had Awanas at our church, and I grew up doing Awanas. My dad was the, the commander of the Awanas at our church. And I really loved the Awanas because, for one, it had sort of a military flair to it. My dad was um, a Navy man from World War II. He served in the UDT, underwater demolitions teams, and uh, uh, he ran it. I mean, we did drills with flags, stood at attention, all sorts of things, um, keeping sort of a military flair to it, which I absolutely loved. But when I was a little kid in these children's... Uh, children's church and stuff, we would have nice devotions. I still remember clearly some of these. And I mean, I was just a toddler, a very small child, and uh, singing songs and stuff. Well, one one Sunday, I was five years old when this happened, I uh, remembered singing in church a song, Into My Heart, Come Into My Heart, Lord Jesus. And I knew it was something. I heard this quite often because I grew up in church that you know, you want Jesus to come into your heart and become a Christian. So laying in bed one Sunday night, I was in, in my bedroom laying in bed and I was thinking over that song. I can still remember this clearly. And uh, because the lyrics of the song go, into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus, come in today, come in to stay, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And I was going over that singing, that song in my head, and actually, probably singing it out loud, my siblings told me I used to sing myself to sleep at night. And uh, I, laying in bed, I said, Jesus, I want you to come into my heart. I want to be a Christian. And then I laid there because I've heard from so many people that there's a major change that takes place in your life. And I laid there in bed thinking, okay, when's the change happen? What happens here? And uh, I don't know if I had something to eat, but... There was some like uh, maybe my heart skipped a beat or maybe I had some gas. I don't know. I just remember something biological happening inside of my body. Um, maybe a belch or something. I don't know what it was, but I just remember something caught me off guard and I thought, oh, that's it. I'm a Christian. So I got up out of my bed and ran into the living room and jumped up into my arm, uh, the arms of my mother and said, Mommy, I just asked Jesus to come into my heart. And she says, oh, that's nice. Um, so how'd you do it? And I said, well, I just said, Jesus, come into my heart. And she says, oh, okay, well, that's nice. All right, well, go back to bed. <laughs> that was it. And I went back to bed thinking, wow, this was, this was it, huh? So for the next many years, several years, I was like five when that happened for about the next, what, eight years or so? No, more than that. Um, but anyway, I just... I was a brat. There was no change in my life. I was the child in the family that was like the black sheep. I was not a very nice person, particularly with people on the, in the neighborhood where I lived. I was a bully. I had an extremely foul mouth. I was very mean to many people, um, picked on people. I, I just, um, I swore I had a, just a filthy language. And I was a thief and a liar. Oh, was I good at lying. But I was actually better at being a thief. And I don't even know if my, my family all knew about this, but I used to steal money <clears throat> frequently. I would even go into people's houses and steal money. Um, I was very good at it. Um, now, I'm talking now here elementary school age. This is what's going on. 
<clears throat> yeah, elementary. I was breaking into people's houses and I was smart enough to know not to take dollar bills or anything like that, but just to take change because we had a candy store down the street that you could buy back then a thing called penny candy. You could get um, a piece of candy for a penny, sometimes two pieces of candy for a penny. Yes, this was back when the earth was cooling. Uh, candy had just no doubt been invented. So I was a thief. And I would take like pennies, nickels, dimes. Rarely would I take a quarter because people might miss a quarter. They usually don't miss pennies. They usually don't miss nickels, I figured. And so I did this for many years. And I stole um, in the summertime. I would break out of the, our house in early in the morning and I would run all over the neighborhood and I would not come back sometimes till late because and I'd just be running all over causing mischief. And I would many times for food go into gardens of neighbors and eat their vegetables and and things and just sit in the garden, pull up their carrots and just sit and eat them or take a cantaloupe and um, bust it open and, and sit and eat it. I, I was a thief. Um, I also, one thing that really terror, uh, just traumatized me is what I did to a very good friend of mine. Um, I was still pretty small. Matter of fact, I don't even remember his name, how bad this is, but um, he told me that he was getting ready to move. His family was going to move to a different state. And now he, he had the best toys. I mean, I had hand-me-downs most of the time, um, but he had some absolutely awesome toys. Now, one thing he had was a toy airplane. It was die-cast metal, um, very beautiful, very pretty display thing that he played with. And I had a plastic thing that was sort of busted up and dented and dog chewed on and stuff like this. So I would oftentimes want to play planes with him and uh, he would, we would trade. I'd talk him into trading. And Well, the day, he left, the day before he left on uh, his family moving to a different state, I devised a plan to to steal his his toy. Now this happened to be his favorite toy and I went over to his house and I said this is the last time we're going to play together so let's let's have some fun. Let's play planes again. He went in the house got his favorite one. I went home got my little cheapy thing and we exchanged. I got him to exchange and then I the whole point was to get him distracted um, <clears throat> which I did and we were in a field uh, not too far from his house but there was a culvert there and I said, um, hey, let's play, let's play catch. Go get your baseball glove and I'll go get mine and uh, we'll, we'll, do, uh, we'll play catch for a little bit, then we'll play planes again. So he took off running, uh, which I knew he would. he would. He ran to his house. I had already planned this out. I premeditated this entire thing. I had my baseball glove and ball down in the culvert um, in a ditch there. It was dry. And I stuck it there and I put his plane in there and got my glove out and he came running back down to the field and now we played ball and um, now it was the point that I had to, um, I had set this up that it was going to be late in the afternoon because I knew his parents always called him for dinner. And then sure enough, not long after, his mom called, came out as we're playing catch. His mom came out and told him it's time to eat. Well, he took off running. I said, I'll see you after supper. And he took off running and I went running um, away and didn't even go home and then I hung around till it was dark and it was gone or I was uh, figure he was gone to bed and then I came home and 
Eventually what ended up happening, he ended up leaving and he didn't know where his favorite toy was. And uh, his parents probably thought it was packed or whatever, but they were gone. Next morning I get up, I sort of hide around in the neighborhood until I'm sure they're gone. I see that their car's gone, the house is empty. I go over making sure, looking all through the house, everybody's gone. And I ran over to the culvert and there was his airplane that I had hidden and I successfully stole it. Now, this long story here means nothing probably to you, but to me, this was a major impact because now I had his toy and I'm playing with it, but I felt this tremendous guilt that I had stolen this. As time goes on, I became better at stealing. My mom hated to take me to the grocery store because I would steal there also. I would stand in the produce aisle and eat cherries, grapes, plums, whatever, and I only once ever can recall being caught by a store manager. I would even sometimes go into the cereal aisle. Back then they kept, um, you could buy packages of cereal, boxes of cereal with toys in them, and I would sometimes open those up and, and get them the toy out and then put it back on the shelf. I mean, I was just, I was terrible. I didn't pay for stuff. Um, I hid in the stores a lot of times when my mom's shopping. But these things, this thievery, the stealing that I was doing was bothering me terribly. And I'd sit in church and I would listen to sermons. I, we had really good preachers. I remember as a little kid, there was a pastor Wellner in our church who was excellent. I loved listening to him. Um, he left, I think, when I was in fourth or fifth grade. Then Pastor um, Meadows came and just really, really liked him and would listen to him and sometimes sit and talk with him about things. Um, spiritual things. But because I was in Awanas and stuff, I, I knew the Bible. And I grew up in church, so I knew the right answers to give. And so finally, I got to fifth grade, and I thought, you know, I really, I think I really want to become, a, uh, get baptized, because I'm not baptized. So I went up to the pastor after church service, and I said, I think I want to get baptized. And he says, okay, there's, come into a meeting. There's a couple of others who have asked, and let's, let's have a meeting. You're invited. And we're going to ask you some questions. You just answer the questions. We just want to make sure that you're saved. And I go, oh, okay. So after church, um, a bunch of us, uh, there was a number of us, maybe about five or six, went into the pastor's study. And my dad was in there. And uh, there was some other uh, of my Sunday school teachers. Bill, uh, Bill Lieber was in there and some others. And they were all standing around and asking questions. Well, the pastor was actually asking most of the questions. And um, I, I answered every one. Every time they gave me an, a question, like, when did you become a Christian? Well, I did when I was in fifth grade. How did it happen? I asked Jesus to come into my heart. And they said, do you understand what that means? Yes, that means that you become a Christian. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? I said, yes. Do you believe that Jesus um, died for your sins? Yes. I knew all this. I had this drilled in me since a toddler. So I knew every single answer to a question. One of the questions they asked was, I still remember, they said, can you define grace? I said, yes, grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. I had every answer uh, that they, they needed. I, every question they had, I had an answer to it. The thing is, and here's the main point here, I was not a Christian. I believed in a historical Jesus. There was no question in my mind that Jesus was the Son of God. I, I never questioned that. I had no question about the virgin birth, um, that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, that he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, that he was a miracle worker, 
that he went to the Last Supper um, and taught his disciples one more time about following him. I, I believe that he was arrested um, in the Garden of Gethsemane and brought before the Sanhedrin and the high priest. And I believe that they brought him to the Romans and they, they whipped him and scourged him. I believe that the Romans then crucified him on Calvary and uh, they killed him, they stabbed him. Um, and I believed, uh, had no doubt in my mind that he was put into a grave and I had no doubt in my mind that he rose from the grave on Sunday morning. Um, and then he went about um, showing people that he was the risen Lord and, and appearing to his disciples and to, and to over 300 others and then ascended back up into heaven and is alive today. People, I knew all of that. I believed all of that. I was not a Christian. I knew the historical facts. I knew a historical Jesus. I knew theology. I knew doctrine. I grew up going to church. I had attendance pins uh, that I could wear to show off how proud I was of my attendance going to church. I was not a Christian. How do I know? Because that five-year-old experience did nothing to me, and it, it meant nothing to me outside of what a song's was about a little child song. My life was nothing as to what should be uh, when you follow Christ. Um, the Holy Spirit, put it this way, the Holy Spirit was not indwelling me. I was a bully. I was a thief. I was a liar. I was beating people up at times. I was the most mean person, a terrorizing person. I blasphemed God. I swore constantly. All of this. I was just the worst person. And yet I was calling myself a Christian the whole time because I knew all these historical facts. That's not what makes you a Christian. My brother had become, when he went to college, and he was much older than I was, he became um, the youth pastor at a church while he was in college, a uh, church on the south side of Chicago. And I would attend his church uh, youth groups at times. Um, they had a lot of teens there. And um, I thought, you know, this is sort of a cool place to go. And so I would sometimes hang out over at his church. And um, one time he told me that there's uh, this big revival taking place in Chicago. A guy by the name of Sammy Tippett, Arthur Blessett, and Billy Graham were coming to Chicago and holding rallies one after the other. And so um, my brother was going to be serving as a counselor for the Billy Graham crusade, which was taking place in McCormick Place, downtown Chicago, right on the lakeshore. And um, my brother, he knew, my family all knew, I was not a Christian. No, I claimed to be a Christian. I constantly was telling people I was a Christian. My actions, the fruit that I was bearing, did not show that whatsoever. I knew all these historical facts. I knew scripture. I could quote scripture to you easily through Awanas and through contests that we had at our church. I'd memorized hundreds of scripture. I knew doctrine. <sighs> but in eighth grade, the end of my eighth grade year, so what am I, like 13 years old now, my brother invited me to a Billy Graham crusade that he was going to. Uh, his church was going, so he says, why don't you tag along with me? It was just very nonchalant one night. He says, why don't you tag along with me tonight? We're going to Billy Graham crusade. We're going to ride our church bus up to Chicago. And, well, I love my brother so much. Um, Alan was just so special to me that I thought, well, if he invited me, I'm going to go. So I went up to the McCormick place and um, I got separated from their youth group. I don't remember how it happened. I know Alan ended up going 
into some meeting or something when we got there. And I didn't know the many of the kids really in his youth group at this point. And I somehow got separated. But Alan had told me at certain points, if we get separated during the night, which he anticipated, I would be running off somewhere. He says, meet at um, this place and I'll always find you. I'll be able to find you then. Well, I ended up, the, uh, the service started, the Billy Graham uh, meeting started that night. And though I had heard the gospel preached by uh, Pastor Wellner and Pastor Meadows and, and even my dad, I had heard it many, many times. That night, sitting in a folding chair, I was separated from about everybody. I was sitting over in a far corner, probably like the northeast corner of that place. And I was sitting there in a corner on a folding chair and I heard Billy Graham speaking. I don't know why. Um, I'd never really caught this before, but all of a sudden I realized, because he's talking about having real faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I realized I had never done that. And I started thinking that back in Matthew chapter 7, God says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. All of a sudden, this passage really meant something to me. These people in this passage in Matthew chapter 7, I think it's verses 21 through 23 or something like that. This passage talked about me. It would be like me dying, going before God. Lord, I know you. I, I've, I've studied you. Um, and look what I've done in your name. I've, I've taught classes. I've worked in VBS. I've worked in children's ministry. I've done these kind of things. And I've, I've given money in, in, you know, uh, that I, I've some kind of soul, but sometimes earned. And I've done all this. But I felt like Jesus saying, depart from me. I never knew you. I realized that night, for the first time, the gospel isn't knowing historical facts. It's a Greek word to have to believe. In John 3, 16, whosoever believes in me shall not perish but have eternal life. Believe. And I believe Billy Graham talked about that word believe, the Greek word pestuo, which is not knowing head facts. It's not a bunch of head facts. It's actually a commitment. It's, it's um, not just commitment. It's, it's putting your trust in it's a word used for faith and belief constantly throughout the Gospel of John and, and throughout the, the New Testament. And today I, I realize, as I've studied Greek, that um, pishtuo, this word John uses so many times in his Gospel for belief, was not what I had. I had historical facts. I believed in a historical Jesus. I believed that because I was going to church, because I memorized scripture, because I knew that Jesus was the Son of God, that I knew that he had died for my sins, and I knew that he had risen from the dead and ascended into heaven. I, I knew those historical things, so I just assumed I was a Christian. I never had pishtuo-type faith. I never believed in that aspect. Sitting in that folding chair that night, all this finally made sense at the end of my eighth grade year. And sitting there, I prayed, God, I don't know you. I know a historical you, but I don't know you. 
Dear Jesus, I do trust that you are God, that you came and you know me and you died for me and I trust that you can save me. And Lord, right now I am committing my life to you. You are now my Lord. I want to know you. I want to grow in you. And sitting in that chair that night, I changed. Now I didn't, I can't say I felt a physical change. There wasn't a lightning bolt or something like that, no. But I will say that there was, I, I, my whole outlook on things instantly changed. As Paul said, scales fell from his eyes. I don't know. I just know that things were different. I left McCormick Place. I found my brother. We got back on the bus. We rode home. And I was just so overcome with joy and happiness of my salvation. It wasn't just an emotional thing. Please understand this. It's not the emotions. It was a true knowledge of trusting and committing my life to Christ now that was different in me. As I came home, we went, uh, got home sort of late. Alan and I shared the same bedroom. We went to bed that night. Next morning, we got up. It was a Sunday morning. We got up and we always ate dinner together or uh, breakfast together, always. And we're sitting together at the table. And my dad turns to Alan as we're all sitting there. And he says, so how was how was the experience at McCormick Place? How was the Billy Graham crusade? And Alan says, well, it was really cool, but I think something really interesting happened, something really neat. And my dad said, what? And he's, Alan, sitting next to me, points his thumb over to me and says, I think Michael became a Christian last night. And my dad and everybody's eyes just, I think everybody stopped eating and just looked like this evil, mean kid. What? What happened? And I know my dad asked him, what makes you say that? And notice, no one's asking me. <laughs> They asked Alan, what makes you think that? And he says, he's changed. He's different. His language has cleared up. He, he's not the same. And he says, that's what happens when you become a Christian, right? And they turned to me then and they said, so what happened? I said, I finally understood that I was not saved. I understand what salvation is. It all made sense to me last night. All the stuff I've learned, I never applied in my head and, and in my heart. But now I truly trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I've committed my life to him. That changed my whole life. My language changed. I no longer liked lying and tried then from that point on, tried not to lie. I tried not to steal. Oh, I still get tempted at times, yes. Um, things come up. My, my language totally changed. That was the thing everybody, even my friends, all noticed instantly, that my language and the way that I was talking and, and just the way my behavior was, was different. And people then started asking me, what's different about you? How come, why have you changed? There's something that we don't recognize in you anymore that's, that's a lot better than was. What's going on? So I got to tell people this. And so as the summer went on, that was at the end of eighth grade, as the summer went on, I really got involved and started really studying uh, the Word of God. And I looked now at church and, and going to church and seeing other Christians totally differently. And just, oh my gosh, I was just so hungry, spiritual, spiritual hunger that I had at this point. But please understand, I'm not perfect. I'm forgiven. I still have temptation to steal. I still have temptation to lie. Um, my language isn't so much a temptation. God just instantly fixed that. I, I just stopped swearing. I mean, just boom, that just instantly happened. Other things, I'm still growing 
and still going in uh, through my spiritual growth, which I will continue till I leave this planet and get into the, the next, uh, uh, my eternal life and, and presence with the Lord where I'll be glorified in, in that aspect and I reach glorification. But right now I'm still in the process of, of becoming more and more like Jesus. Um, but that's, that's my story. What I've done now is I've set myself up. I try not to ever handle money. I, I am very opposed to handling money. In different places where I've worked, um, I don't like to handle money. I usually have somebody else do it because I do have the temptation to take money. I do, but it's wrong. And so it's part of my sinful nature and I recognize that and I try to protect myself. I worked for many years, as many of you know, in a Christian camp where we made the classes free. One of the reasons I didn't want to charge for nature classes is because I don't want to deal with money. Though a couple of classes we did, the geo class and we had a pearls class uh, where we take oysters and take out, um, people would, would be able to get their own pearl out of it and sometimes they would buy it. But I always made sure I had somebody in the room with me to help me uh, help watch me count the money and where to put the money and how I would turn in the money. I tried to make sure I had steps around me to guard me from this because I am tempted at times for things like this. I didn't want to work in the, in the canteen or in a place where there, I have to deal with money. I've never wanted to have a job like that because there is a temptation. And I'm, I mean, I'm not tempted that much anymore, but even so, Satan knows how to press my buttons and he'll come up. So at, at times in our lives, when we become Christians, it doesn't, all of our sinful nature doesn't disappear. We still have to deal with it. But I deal with it now through prayer and I deal with it by protecting myself, having other Christians and stuff come alongside and help handle situations like this. Um, so I, um, when I am tempted, I, I can have a better way of, of saying, no, Satan, I'm not going that route. Um, I've also learned that when Satan tempts, start quoting scripture. Um, he hates that. Um, or start singing praises to God. I love to sing hymns at that point. But that's where I'm at today. That's how I've got here. And I've been serving the Lord since I became a Christian at that McCormick Place experience. And I just hope you uh, understand now a little bit more about salvation. It's not head knowledge about Jesus. It's not just knowing facts. You can know all the facts about Jesus. You can memorize scripture. You can go to church. You can give all your money that you own to the church. That doesn't do anything for you. I challenge you, read Matthew chapter 7, verses, starting at verse 21. These two people that come before God, Lord, Lord, um, you know, these, these people who, who come before God, are saying, we did this and we did this and we did this in your name, Jesus says, I don't know you. Get away. I hope you don't fall into that. I mean, Jesus even said that the kingdom of God is going to be lesser populated than, than hell. Hell has a lot more people going to it. The way to hell is very wide. Most people find it. The way to eternal life is narrow and hard and few make it. Please understand, salvation has to do with trust and commitment not head knowledge. It's a major difference. If you feel compelled at this point, if you have, were, uh, are sitting where, uh, in a situation I grew up in, that I know all the facts about Jesus, I've done a lot of work in church, I've done things for God and stuff like this, but I've never accepted Christ truly as my Savior. I've never committed my life to Him. I've never put my total trust in Him. 
I ask you now, as you listen to this conclusion, that you would just tell God, just like I did back in eighth grade, Lord, it's not the facts that I need. I need you. I believe you are the Son of God, and I trust that you can save me. I believe everything about you, but I am committing my life to you. You are now my Lord. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit. And we know it's not magic words, but it's what's going on in our hearts. In eighth grade, I did that. How many times before I would, during altar calls at churches and stuff, I would say, Lord, I'm not a Christian. Please save me. I want to be saved. But I never understood the trust and the commitment, the word peshtuo. I just had head facts. I pray you don't have head facts. I pray that you really put your trust and you commit your life to Christ. Thanks for listening to me. And I hope this short message helps you as you grow in Christ. I would love to hear from you. Um, you can contact us on our our, face, uh, or our, our page, evidenceforfaith.org. Um, and we would love to pray for you or um, if you just need to talk, uh, need some information, um, need somebody to listen, please contact us. Thanks for joining us. Take care and God bless. you enjoyed that episode. A big thank you is due to our donors for making this ministry possible. Once again, you can become a donor at evidenceforfaith.org give and help us keep this broadcast free. You can also support us by sharing, subscribing, and leaving a review on this podcast. If you'd like to hear Michael live, you can check out our bookings calendar at evidenceforfaith.org. That's evidence, the number four, faith.org. And on that note, this is Charlotte signing off. I'll see you on the next episode.